At the dedication of the temple, Solomon prayed for his people, and he asked God to forgive, to act on behalf, and to uphold them when they had fallen away from him. And God answered Solomon that day and and told him that he would indeed answer his prayer if his people met four conditions. And those conditions are the following. God's people were first to humble themselves. Second, God's people were to pray. Third, God's people were to seek his face. And fourth, God's people were to turn from their wicked ways. Now, many times as we have listened to messages on 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, we have heard the challenge to, to pray. And sometimes we've been left with the impression that if we want to see God's renewal and healing of our land, all we have to do is to pray really hard. But this is not the focus or the only focus of this passage. God lays out here four qualifications in these verses. And praying is only one of those qualifications. If Israel was to see a renewal and healing of her land, she would have to meet all four of those qualifications. And for our purpose here in this episode, I want us to examine the first two of these qualifications as found in the first part of Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, which says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. The first challenge of God to his people in response to the prayer of Solomon was that they humble themselves. Now, what does it mean to humble oneself and how is humility demonstrated in Scripture? Let me suggest three demonstrations of true humility found in Scripture. The first demonstration of humility is that true humility accepts guilt. In the context of 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, Solomon has been praying for his sinful people. His prayers for mercy and forgiveness for a people who have wandered from God and, and are not where they need to be in their walk with him. It was these people, the people of God, to whom the heavens had been closed. It was to these people that God commanded the locusts and the plague to punish them and to, to get their attention. These were the people who had turned their backs on God and his purpose for their lives. The humility God requires here is a recognition of sin and a confession of guilt. In 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verses 22 to 23, we read about King Ammon. Listen to what the passage says about this king. Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. 
And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh his father had done. Ammon sacrificed to all the images that Manasseh his father had made and served them. And he did not humble himself. Notice that phrase. He did not humble himself before the Lord as Manasseh his father had humbled himself. But his but this Ammon incurred guilt more and more. Notice here that King Ammon did evil in the sight of the Lord. But notice also that he did not humble himself before the Lord. In other words, he never repented or never turned from his sin. Ammon conf- uh, refused to confess his sin. A- and to confess one's sin is to admit that, that we have been wrong. It's to confess that, that we've failed God and have wandered from his purpose. And that requires a humbling of ourselves to confess our failures. In Second Chronicles chapter 35, verse 11 and 12, we read about King Zedekiah, who was often in communication with the prophet Jeremiah, and Jeremiah often went to speak with him. And listen to the words of Second uh, Chronicles chapter 36, verse 11 and 12. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. Once again, we see King Zedekiah who does evil in the sight of the Lord and does not humble himself before Jeremiah. The idea here is that God was speaking to Zedekiah through Jeremiah, giving him warnings and, and, and challenging him, but King Zedekiah refused to listen to these warnings. He refused to change his ways, and he continued living in rebellion against God by not humbling himself to recognize his guilt. God expected that both these kings humble their hearts before him, And this humbling implied that they take a look at their lives, that they recognize that there were areas in their life that were not living, where they were not living in obedience. It required that they confess this before God and repent of their sins. Now, that sounds relatively simple. But the fact of the matter is, is that many people refuse still to humble themselves before God in this way. And there are a number of ways in which we can, uh, in ways in which this can take place in our lives. And let me just offer you a few examples of this. We know that we have not humbled ourselves before God when we do not take sin seriously. Have you ever found yourself being entertained by sin in sinful ways? Have you ever compromised with sin because of the circumstances you found yourself in? Have you ever said, well, everybody does it? Have you ever simply found yourself ignoring your conscience and and the teaching of Scripture and doing it anyway? Have you ever found yourself saying, "I, I probably shouldn't say this, or I probably shouldn't do this, but, and then you go on to do it. If you've ever flirted with sin, You have grieved the Father. 
because you did not take what he thought about sin seriously and what he thinks about sin seriously. So we know we have not humbled ourselves when we don't take sin seriously. And we need to come before him and confess that to him, that we do not see sin as he sees it, that we do not grieve as he grieves over sin. We are not appalled at sin like he is appalled at sin. We do not take it as seriously as he takes it, and we need to confess that before God. But we also know that we have not humbled ourselves when we put off dealing with sin until later. Do you realize just how much sin and rebellion grieves the heart of God? Do we realize how much our sin withholds his blessings from us? Do we realize how much our sin hinders our Christian testimony in the community and hinders the work of God? Will we continue to grieve, to hold back, to hinder the work of God until we're just tired of our sinful ways? Will we continue to be the reason why blessing is withheld because it's just not convenient for us to humble ourselves right now? Can we see the pride that is in that, that willingly grieves, that holds back, that hinders just because we aren't ready right now to deal with our sin? We know we've not humbled ourselves when we put off dealing with our sin till later. But we also know that we have not humbled ourselves when we justify our sinful actions and our words. Everybody does it. It's not really hurting anyone. I just don't see what's wrong with it. If you were in my situation, you'd do the same thing. We've not humbled ourselves if we try to explain away what we have done when we know it to be sin. We've not humbled ourselves if we excuse our actions rather than take responsibility for them. The first thing we need to understand then about humility is that humility accepts guilt. But the second thing about humility is that humility recognizes need. When Isaiah was, rather, Ezra rather, was, was called to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the temple, he felt inadequate for the task. And in Ezra chapter 8 and verse 21, listen to what he does. Then he says, I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. Before embarking on this great journey to Jerusalem, Ezra cast aside any self-reliance, any pride, any sense that he could do this on his own. He stood before God, confessing his weakness. He cried out to God to provide the strength and the protection and the grace, and he knew that his strength was not sufficient. He knew that his wisdom was not enough, and so he cast himself completely on the Lord and cried out for direction and support knowing full well his need. But that direction and that support is not available to those who do not think they need it. 
Listen to the words of Psalm 25 and verse 9. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. He guides the humble. He teaches the humble his way. He resists the proud. And he leaves them at times to their own wisdom, to their own devices. But God is calling for a people who will humble themselves and recognize their need and come to him for the filling of that need. And God will fill the humble, but he will resist the proud. And so humility and and humbling ourselves is telling us the truth about who we are and our need. True humility recognizes need. It has no pretense that it's able in itself and of its own accord and of its own strength and in its own wisdom to do the task. It comes before God to plead for his direction, to plead for his strength, to plead for his enabling, because it knows that it is dependent completely upon him. The final thing I want to say about humility is that true biblical humility is demonstrated in acts of compassion and tenderness. Consider the words of God to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 58, verses 4 to 7. This is what God says through Isaiah. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours, this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it not to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of the wickedness, to do, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? As Isaiah looks at the situation before him and as God watched what people were doing, they were going through the motions. They were putting this ashes on them. They were dressing themselves in sackcloth, but they were complaining and crumbling and beating one another up. And, and what we see here is that God says, that's not what humility is about. The external show, true humility, says God, is to loose the bonds of the wicked, to, to let the oppressed go, to bring the homeless poor into your house and to cover the naked. That, says God, is true humility. And the greatest example of this kind of humility is found in the person of the Lord Jesus. He humbled himself and took on the form of a man. He humbled himself and served those he created. He humbled himself and died out of compassion for, for his greatest enemy. The humble person is one who does not place their needs first. The humble person will willingly sacrifice for a brother or sister. The humble person considers the needs of others as being more important than their own. This, says God in the scriptures, is true humility, a humility that recognizes guilt 
of humility that recognizes its dependence and need of God, and a humility that places the needs of others as being more important than its own. This, says God, is what I require. If my people will humble themselves, says God. Now, the second requirement of God is that people pray, if my people humble themselves and pray. We need to say this prayer, however, in the context of the verse. We are to humble ourselves before we pray. Humility is the basis of our prayer. There are many prayers offered up for selfish motives and, and in pride, the pride of our hearts. But this is not the kind of prayer that God is asking for here. It is the prayer of the humble. Humble yourself and pray. What is the prayer of the humble? It's the prayer that reflects the humility that we have just spoken of. The prayer of the humble is a prayer of confession. The humble person prays, recognizing his or her shortcomings. They, they pray, confessing their sin and their failures. They pray like the tax collector and the sinner in the temple, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. The prayer of the humble is a prayer of confession and a cry for mercy and forgiveness. It is the prayer of the person who sees himself or herself as God sees them and cries out, for mercy. But the prayer of the humble is also a prayer for needed blessing. The humble person does not rely on his or her strength. This person knows that unless God enables, they will not have victory over their sin and, and, and the flesh. They understand what Jesus told us in, in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the humble comes as a beggar to an almighty God. They come recognizing that if he doesn't provide, they have nothing to offer. If he doesn't save, they will be eternal lost. These individuals, the humble, come before God, recognizing God as the source of all blessing, and cry out to him as, as a beggar, knowing that unless he gives, they have nothing of any value and no life in them. But the prayer of the humble is also a prayer for his enemy. The humble come before God freed of bitterness towards their enemy. Just as Jesus gave himself for his enemy, so the humble willingly cry out to, to, for those who have offended them. Jesus told his disciples to pray for those who persecuted them. Jesus prayed for those who crucified, in the on the, uh, crucified him on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus taught that if we do not forgive those who have offended us, then neither will our heavenly Father forgive us. The humble person submits to this and releases bitterness against those who have hurt him. They choose to forgive and to not hold a grudge. This is the prayer of the humble. The Lord is willing to send renewal and healing for our land, 
but he speaks to us and he challenges us. He says, when you come, humble yourself and pray. Humble yourself in the in a biblical way and cry out to me in that humility. He tells us that that they they need to let the Spirit of God point out their their shortcomings and failures and and come accepting what the Spirit of God reveals to us about ourselves. And and when he points his finger at sin in our lives and shortcomings in our lives, we come and we confess and we recognize this and we address those sins because if we don't, how can we expect God to move? And are we willing Are we willing as believers to humble ourselves and to let the Lord reveal our shortcomings? Or will we put up our guard and and in pride block our ears to what God is calling us to, to see in our lives? Will we bow humbly before God, confessing our need? Will we accept the fact that unless he moves, we have nothing to offer this world? Will we cry out to him for the courage to be obedient and faithful to his purpose? for our lives? Will we trust him and step out in obedience no matter what the cost for that call upon our lives? Will we deal with the issues that have separated us as brothers and sisters in Christ? Will we make it our commitment to forgive and to bless those who have hurt us? Will we follow the example of Christ and bless our enemies and do good to those who have taken advantage of us? This requires a humbling of ourselves, but we cannot pray effectively if we do not take this step of humbling ourselves and before God, recognizing our guilt, recognizing our need, and, and, and placing the needs of our brothers and sisters even above our own need and, and ministering and caring for them and entering into a, a relationship of forgiveness and compassion towards them. This, says God, is what I require. I will heal your land, but you need to humble yourself and you need to pray the prayer of the humble as you come before God. May God give to us the grace to humble ourselves enough to see our sin, to confess our sins, to cast ourselves completely on him and to forgive those who have offended us And then and only then can we come with the right attitude in prayer and cry out to him and to him alone who is able to pour out the blessings of heaven and to open up the storehouses of heaven for us.